Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Conquest and Defeat series, which walks through the book of 2 Samuel, discovering life's journey of grace, mercy, and faith. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. 2 Samuel chapter 11 tonight. And of course, we're in our series, Conquest and Defeat. We're learning... um, Really, we've been going through this, uh, this study, learning specifically um, the life of David. And, uh, you know, we can go through and rehearse a lot about David. Uh, when you go to the book of 2 Samuel, we know 2 Samuel chapter 1, uh, really David begins to assume the throne. He gets the throne of Judah at first. Uh, although we know that he was, uh, um, he was uh, anointed king 17 years, 13 to 17 years earlier than when he actually got the throne in Judah. But finally, he gets the throne. And then we, we go through a number of events till finally uh, David is king of all of Israel. It's been prophesied. It's been, been committed to him. He's going to be king of all Israel. So he's king of all Israel. And, and David begins making some very uh, good moves. He moves the, uh, moves the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, uh, signaling, hey, this is going to be the capital. He overtakes Jerusalem, taking it from the Jebusites that had not been in the hand of Israel. Up until this point, all of those years, Israel had never inhabited Jerusalem in that city that God had already given them. And yet now they, inha- they inhabit it. They're there. And it's now the capital of the city, the, the Ark of, of the Covenant, representing David saying, God, we welcome your presence into our kingdom. All of these great things are taking place. Last Last week, last week, if you were here with us, we looked in uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 10, and we noticed that the king of the Ammonites passed away. Uh, the king of the Ammonites passed away. You can go back to verse number um, uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 10 and find his name, Nahash. Nahash, king of Ammon, and he wasn't a good guy. He, he as a matter of fact, at one point, he was one of Israel's greatest enemies, but at some point, we, we don't know what it was or when it was, at some point, Nahash showed kindness to David. And so when Nahash died, Hanun, his son, took over. And if you are here last week, you'll remember that David, he sent that, that uh, entourage of encouragers. Remember, he sent those, we don't know how many, but he sent a few people to, to uh, the area of Ammon, to the king Hanun, to be an encourager to him, comfort him during the loss of his father. Because David said, I, I don't want that kindness to go unrepaid. So I'm going to try to encourage Hanun, Nahash's son, because Nahash was kind to me. But Hanun and Hanan was there, and, and those uh, encouragers came, and those influencing the life of Hanan caused him to shame these encouragers. Remember, they said to him, don't, don't think that David brought these guys here to comfort you. He, he sent them here because he's spying out the land. He's going to overtake you, and you're going to look like an absolute idiot if you don't do something. And so Hanan, if you recall, he just shames them completely. David gets word, and... Uh, and the Bible says that Hanun found out that the Ammonites stank before David. <laughs> David was like, wow, how dare you do that? And we go to the story where David and Joab just completely uh, take out Ammon and, and Hanun and uh, begin to really destroy them. Not completely. That doesn't take place until the end of chapter 12. But last week, we looked at that passage, and we asked ourselves about influences, knowing that influences matter. And one of, the, one of the truths we learned last week is that if we have wrong influences, it can cause us to have unnecessary battles. 
because we're listening to wrong counsel. We're listening to wrong influence. But we could have good influencers like Joab. Remember Joab last week? If you were here, Joab last week, he said to his brother, hey, I'll encourage you and you encourage me. We are in this together. Hey, we are fighting a good fight. Make yourself strong for the Lord. See what God can do. And so last week, we really just looked at the difference between good influences and bad influences. But up in the life of David, really, if, if we could take 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12, if we could take those two chapters and rearrange it or take them out or ask God if they didn't happen, it would probably change a lot of us in our perspective about David. You see, David's known for a lot of things, isn't he? I think right now we could list a number of things that David is known for. I mean, we could go through and understand that David is really many people. David is one of those favorite characters. A lot of people who don't even go to church, you could ask them, name somebody from the Bible, and most people can name a David. You could say to, to, say to somebody, well, uh, name, a, name a Bible story, and they, they might not know anything about Nahash and Hanun. They might not know anything about uh, any of the judges. They might not know about, about Joab or any of David's mighty men, but they know David and Goliath. Oh, David and Goliath. Yeah, I love that story. Well, what's it about? Well, it's about the small guy taking out the big guy, you know, and a lot of people applied it to business, and that's, it's interesting that that story has just become adopted by so many people, but it's a Bible story. David and Goliath, he's known for being David versus Goliath. David, he's known as a great psalmist. How many of you, when you're discouraged, you read a psalm? You read a psalm. Did you know most of the psalms are written by David? Most of them are attributed to David. I mean, what a great author. What a great musician. We know him as David the king. I mean, one of the greatest rulers that the nation of Israel ever had. We, if you're a Bible student, you know about David versus Saul and, and the restraint that, that David showed in not killing Saul. And uh, many people could maybe think of, of David and his mighty men. David's known for a lot, but as we come to our time tonight, we find ourselves at a, a pivotal time in the life of David. And we come to, we come to another story that actually defines David. It's probably, 2 Samuel 11, is probably the, the lowest point of David's life. David stoops really, really low. And just by way of introduction tonight, I, I want to just say a couple of things. Number one, every single person in life we're known for things. We're known for something. You might be known uh, by your family. I'm, I'm no, I kind of was thinking about myself. I'm known by my family. Uh, I go somewhere and people find out Fountain. They say, oh, is your dad Dennis Fountain Sr.? Yeah, yep, that's my dad. How'd you put that together? Dennis Fountain and Dennis Fountain. Don't know whoever. And I'm known by my family. People know my grandfather, my great-grandfather, who was a pastor and a church planner for years, and people say, oh, are you related to Dr. Brown? Yep, I'm related to Dr. Brown. I'm known in certain places by, by my past. Whenever I uh, see certain people, they bring up my past. 
I'll see people from my teenage years. And uh, at camp this week, it was actually very comical. Robert did the TPing, and the only reason Robert got in trouble was because I got in trouble. You know, we're hosting the camp, and so we kind of rent the campground, and the well, the camp director was just like, man, we can't be having that. You got to take care of this. And, and I, I got a text at 3.30 in the morning about it. And I didn't see the text until like 6.30 in the morning, because if I had seen it at 3.30, then Robert really would have been in trouble. <laughs> but I remember pulling Rob aside and saying, hey, we, we can't do that. You know, it's just one of those things, blah, blah, blah. And, but good job, you know, way to go. And, uh, and I was... I was talking to another friend of mine that he also worked with teenagers when we worked with teenagers, and I told him about this prank. I said, yeah, our, our junior high boys were, they TP'd everybody, and it was, it was awesome. I was like, it worked out great. We have, we have good pictures. It was a great, great week, you know, and he laughed, and he said, oh, man, remember? And as soon as he said, remember, I was reminded of the day earlier when Hannah said, why are they mad about toilet papering? Didn't you... And she pointed at me. Didn't you guys used to? And they began this, this friend, Jonathan. He said, do you remember? I said, yeah, I remember. When we were counselors, we would, and we'd take water balloons and kids would be sleeping. We would open the doors and chuck water balloons. As the counselors, we'd chuck water balloons in their, tent, in their, in their cabin and make them explode over them. Um, I've, I've painted plenty of people's fingernails and toenails while they're sleeping. Uh, you know, all that type of stuff. And you know what? There's certain people when I get around them, they go, oh, oh, Dennis, aren't you the guy? Usually I don't even have to like hear the story. Yeah, yeah, probably. No, I'm known for my, my past. You know, you might be known for your past successes. Um, for me, and again, I, I just tried to go through my life. What am I known by of certain people? I know some people, they, hey, aren't, didn't you start a church? How's, I saw people this week, hey, how's that church, how's that church plant going? Man, we prayed for you and kind of known for that. Maybe you might be known for your heritage or you might be known for your job or, or some sort of, sort of association, but I can guarantee today that all of us, all of us are known by certain decisions because our decisions define our direction. Our decisions define the decisions and the choices that you and I, listen, you are where you are now because of choices that you made last year. You are where you are now because of the choices that you made 10 years ago. Now, now there may be, you may be on a different life path now than you were 10 years ago, but you are who you are now because of the, the decisions that we've made up until now. Does that make sense? And, and you and I, in, in five years, I will be who I am then based upon the decisions that I make between now and then. Well, when we look at the life of David, we come to this passage and we come to a time in David's life when, when David, who is known, listen, David, who is known as, as having made some of the greatest strides of char for characters in Scripture. I mean, all of the incredible things that David did. And yet, if I took any Bible student aside, and by Bible student, I just mean any, any church attender that does just kind of frequents church or, or reads the Bible every now and then. And I said, tell me some things about David's life. I would probably get David versus Goliath, David the psalmist, and David and Bathsheba. 
one of the lowest points in David's life. And I think that if David were to go back, David would say, I wish I could erase 2 Samuel chapter 11. Not that I could just erase it from the Bible so no one knew. No, David would say, I wish I could erase it from my life. I wish 2 Samuel chapter 11 did not happen in my life. And those decisions that we make, they define the direction that we take. And so tonight I want to talk to us about those decisions. And I, I want to talk to us about how to make proper decisions. But specifically tonight, I, I want to look at decisions when it comes to temptation and when it comes to sin. I'll be honest with you tonight, sin is probably a topic that doesn't get addressed a lot. Now, if you've been at our church for any length of time, I, we try to address it. It's in the Bible all over the place, so we're gonna, we're gonna get there. But tonight, we're really gonna go through, and what I wanna do, we've done this a, a few times as we've gone through 2 Samuel, is I just kinda wanna, I wanna pray, and then I wanna work our way through the story, and then I wanna just bring out to you just some truths we can learn about avoiding sin. Some principles from 2 Samuel 11 that we can pull out to apply to ourselves that we might not have a 2 Samuel 11 in our life. And so I want to ask if you would to pray with me and with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you just right where you're seated, would you ask God to, to speak to your heart tonight? And would you pray and, and just, just ask God, God, would you arrest my attention tonight? Would you allow your word to capture my mind? And God, would you speak to me? Dear Lord, I want to come before you and just thank you for the day. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how it applies to us. Thank you for the truths that I have here that you've brought to my mind. And Lord, I, um, I just humble myself before you, recognizing that I, I have nothing to offer, Lord. I know this is not my message. This isn't my words. I pray that it would be yours, that you would speak. And God, I pray that you'd help every single one of us tonight. Um, <clears throat> Lord, help us to realize, help us to realize how much you love us and how much you desire that we would walk away from sin. And Father, how... When you, when you ask us to resist temptation and to fight it, it's because you know that there, there's a, a better path for us. There's better truth for us. There's a, a better um, destiny for us when we say no. There's a better plan in our life when we say no. And so, God, I, I just want to pray tonight that you'd speak. I love you. I thank you for your word. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for using us, and I just thank you for camp again, what you did there, and I pray that you'd speak to us right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't have the verses on the screen tonight. I really just want to kind of work our way through 2 Samuel 11, so why don't you take your Bible, and let's just kind of read the story. Uh, it's not many verses. I think 27 verses. Uh, yep, 27 verses, and so let's just read this and make our way through it. It says, and it came to pass after the year was expired... At the time when David, or excuse me, at the time when kings go forth to battle, 
that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Pause right there. We remember when it says it came to pass after the year was expired. Well, after what year was expired? It's talking about after the time when everything took place with King Hanun. After that year, not one full year passing by, but it, now we're, it, it's in a new time. It's a new year. It just, that was last year's news. The children of Ammon have already been, uh, they've been defeated, but we're still fighting them. The battle isn't over yet. And so it's after that year that the kings go to war. This would be um, just a time that the kings would lead their people into battle. And what does David do? Well, David sends Joab. David sends Joab. And after he sends Joab, the Bible says this in verse number two. It says, and it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed. Pause right there just very quickly. David, he should have been at war. He should have been, um, when it says that they, were, they besieged Ammon, look at it, verse number one, it says that they besieged Rabbah, the city of Rabbah, and they were still fighting Ammon. David is supposed to be taking and leading his people to war. This is the time when the kings would do that. Cleaning up the mess from chapter number 10. But David's not there. Instead, David's kind of relaxing, kicking his feet up. And when it says an evening tide came and David got out of bed, basically David probably went to bed a little early that night. And he gets up. What does he do when he gets up? He walks upon the rooftop of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. We've been to the old city, uh, it's, there's an area in old Jerusalem called uh, David's City. And at this time, David's City, uh, we know that the temple isn't built yet. The temple would become the highest point within the city. But up until, uh, since the temple's not there, there in Jerusalem, right now, the highest point is David's palace. So he goes up upon a rooftop and he looks out and, and he sees Bathsheba washing herself, verse number three. And David sent, and he inquired after the woman. Now, what we need to know about that is David didn't, you know, just text message her. This wasn't something that was just between David and Bathsheba. I want, I want you to remember that because a lot of people think, well, it was just David and Bathsheba. This, this sin, 2 Samuel 11, literally affects the entire kingdom. And so when it says that he inquired, he began to ask around to his servants, maybe pulling them aside, pulling them up on the rooftop. Hey, who's that? We, we don't know how that took place, but we know other people are involved. Verse number three, David sent and inquired after the woman and one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And David, he finds out who she is. He sends messengers and, and took her and she came in unto him and he lay with her for she was purified for her, from her uncleanness and she returned unto her house. And the woman, Bathsheba, conceived. So now, now some time has gone by. And she sent, she told David and she said, I am with child. And David, 
he sent to Joab, the general. He sent to him saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And, and Joab sent Uriah to David. And uh, when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said unto Uriah, go down to thy house and, and wash thy feet. So what's, what's going on? David finds out that Bathsheba is with child. He calls for Uriah from the battlefield. Hey, Uriah, how's everything going? Uriah says, King, we're, we're in there. We've, we've got your back, King. Uriah is one of the mighty men of David. Go read the stories. Go read about Uriah. You can read about it. Second uh, Chronicle, First Chronicles and um, uh, First Samuel, it's the end of First Samuel, something like that. They, Uriah is one of, the, one of the mighty men. He's one of the closest bodyguards and protectors of David. Hey, David, it's all going good. We've got your back, David. Hey, David, you can trust us. David said to Uriah, go down to thy house and wash thy feet. Verse eight, and Uriah departed out of the king's house and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah... He slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. He didn't even go home that night. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest not thou from thy journey? Why, why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, David, man, the ark and Israel and Judah they abide in tents, and, and my Lord, the general Joab, and the servants of my Lord are, are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go into mine house and, and eat and drink and, and to lie with my wife? As thou livest, and as thy soul livest, I, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, well, tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and, and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him. And he, David, made him, Uriah, drunk. And at even, he, Uriah, went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went, down, went not down to his house. It came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. During this, David, we, uh, I mean, you can read the story. It's very, it's very simply explained. What, what's David doing? Well, he's trying to get Uriah to go home to his wife, have relationships with his wife, and trying to cover things up. But Uriah, one man said it years ago, I heard it, Uriah had more character drunk than David did sober. sober. Because Uriah, he, he never ended up going home. He said, listen, the, the, the armies and the servants and Joab, they're all intense. I'm not going to partake of, of the fulfillments of life and the, the, the great things of, about being home. Shall I eat and drink? I'm not just going to live it up while, my, while, while my, uh, my friends and while your people, David, I'm not going to just live it up while they're in the battle. I'm, I'm going to live just like a servant here, just like I would there. So now David gives, David gives Uriah a... Uh, a letter. That letter would be would be sealed. It'd be sealed with the with the, the the king's signet. Uriah has no clue what's in this. It's in Uriah's hand. It's in Uriah's pocket. It's in Uriah's bag. He's carrying this to travel the many miles back to war. And notice, 
verse number 15. What is Uriah carrying? And he, David, wrote in that letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. I never knew this until, I think it was last year, I heard a message from a friend of mine preach about Uriah. Every time Uriah is listed, it, it defines him as a valiant man. In that passage, Uriah is listed as a valiant man. I, I love that. We don't know much about Uriah, but we do know that right here, he's carrying his, his death warrant. He's carrying really his death certificate. He gets it to Joab and came to pass, verse 16, when Joab uh, observed the city that he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew the valiant men were and the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and there fell some of the people of the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite died also. From verse 18 all the way down through verse number 25, David receives word. Joab says, hey, go tell David that Uriah died. And if David gets mad that other men died, just make sure he knows that Uriah died. The, the messenger gets there. David finds out, and apparently he's kind of like wondering, well, why are so many people dying? And it said, well, Uriah the Hittite died. And David said, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. We're fighting for a good cause. Verse 26. And when the, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. And David thinks the coast is clear. But I want you, if you would, to read with me the last part of verse number 27. 2 Samuel 11, verse 27, read it with me. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. <clears throat> In this passage, I'll be honest, I've always loved the life of David. But every time I come to 2 Samuel 11, I'm just heartbroken. I'm heartbroken for David. I'm heartbroken for his family. And as we look at this story tonight, we know that we aren't the only ones that were heartbroken. We know from Scripture that God was heartbroken. Man, God was heartbroken. Why? Because David, his servant, this man after his own heart... He, he's committed this, these, it's not just one sin. When, if you look at your Bible, a lot of the Bibles at the beginning of this chapter will say David's great sin. I, I would put David's great sins because there's not just one sin here. But the thing, it, it displeased the Lord. And so tonight, I just wanna look at this story. I wanna talk with you about it and I wanna look at it with the mindset of learning some lessons about temptation and about sin. I mean, if, if you and I, and again, I know this is a sad comparison, but if you and I, if we were to compile the Bible, like if, if we were uh, 
given by God the assignment of compiling the Bible, I, I would leave 2 Samuel 11 out. But God didn't. And in Romans 15, it tells us why God didn't. It says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So we know then that 2 Samuel 11 is inspired by God to be in the word of God for you and I to learn lessons. So what are some lessons that we can learn from David's lowest point? I want us to learn a few thoughts tonight. Number one, lesson number one, temptation comes to everyone. I just want to say it, temptation comes to everyone. Now tonight I'm going to use the word temptation and sin, but we need to know, and I'll say this again at the end, temptation, listen, temptation in and of itself is not sin. To be tempted is not sin. To give in to temptation is sin. Go to the book of James, chapter number one, that temptation to sin, it's not, but when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. But temptation, it comes to everybody. I mean, if you think about it, if we were to go to scripture and say, well, who didn't get tempted? I mean, really, throughout all of scripture, every character that we know of in scripture faced some sort of temptation. They face some sort of temptation. We may not know the exact temptation that it was, but every one of them faced temptation. But many of them were able to simply say no. Well, what's a principle we can learn when we go to the life of King David? We can learn that temptation comes to anybody. Well, it comes to everyone. Well, how can we learn that? Because here's David listed in Scripture as the man, uh, a man after God's own heart. He's one who continually sought after God. He was chosen to be king. He is set upon the throne. I mean, he is really has everything at his fingertips, and yet he faced a great temptation, which ultimately became his sin. I mean, he was a great king, a great giant slayer. He was the psalmist who wrote, uh, the, you know, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I mean, he's the one who wrote that. He's the one who penned the words to many of the songs that we sing. And, and uh, Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Man, that is the David we're talking about. And yet, David faced great temptation. Here is the man who... At one point, he showed great restraint. He showed great restraint against killing Saul when he had opportunity. That was temptation, and David said no. Here's the man who recently, I mean, within the last couple of years of, of 2 Samuel 11, David was the one that said, God, you will be first place in this city. God, you'll be first place in this kingdom. God, there will never be a, uh, you will never be second to any. God, you will be first. And yet here he is facing temptation and giving in to temptation. What's the lesson we learn? Well, temptation can come to everyone. Listen, no one is immune. No one is exempt. There's not one person who is above temptation and not one person who is above sin. And can I say it tonight? There's not one person who is above 2 Samuel chapter number 11. 2 Samuel 11 could happen to any of us. He was a man after God's own heart, and yet we find him stepping into sin. In Proverbs, the, the chapter about, <clears throat> about the, uh, um, my mind's blank on what she's called. Proverbs 7. 
Strange woman, thank you. I knew you'd remember. Uh, Proverbs chapter 7, the, the, the chapter on the strange woman. And the strange woman, of course, who uh, uh, allures people into uh, sexual relations and all of that, chapter number 7. But there's also, uh, really, there's a great comparison to just temptation and sin being that strange woman. And listen to what it says. Proverbs chapter 7, verse number 26. For she hath cast down many wounded. Notice the last part. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Here's David, King David, strong man, taken down by this temptation, to, this temptation and this sin. Who else was taken down by sin? Oh, David's son, Solomon. Solomon, the wisest man in the world. And yet the wisest man in the world, I mean, he had some wisdom, but he didn't apply it. He wrote some great things that you and I look to, but he didn't, he didn't apply it. What was he taken down by? Sin. Hey, Samson. Samson was a strong man, literally. He's a strong man. And yet sin and lust took him down. Listen, it's not a matter of if temptation will come. It's a matter of when temptation will come. No one is exempt. Temptation comes to everyone. What else can we learn? Temptation comes when we let our guard down. Temptation will come more readily into your life when you and I let our guard down. In our passage, if you were to go back to verse number one, it says that, that uh, uh, David tarried. Look at verse number, um, verse number one at the very end. It said, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. That phrase, David, David tarried still at Jerusalem, it means that David, he got comfortable or he got complacent. I, I kind of um, try to read the Bible and, and try to put myself in their situation, and I'm trying to think, okay, David, what led you to get complacent? And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, man, David just came off of kind of a, a great victory. I mean, it wasn't a war with Hanun that he was wanting, but now they're besieging the city of Rabbah, the Ammonite. The Syrians are never going to fight with them again. They've tucked tail and ran. And so David's kind of thinking, you know, I've been doing this a while, you know, I'm, I'm going to let Joab handle it. And David begins to, to get complacent. He's coming off this great victory for Israel and for God. And the, the Bible helps us in this passage understand that David, he was comfortable. He tarried. He was kind of relaxed and letting his guard down. Now there were some, uh, some concessions and some compromises going in David's life. And what that did is that made that temptation grow and become stronger in David's life because, listen, here's the thought, David has become idle. David's become idle. In this passage, he's no longer on guard. But what I want us to know is <clears throat> David committing adultery with Bathsheba did not happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight. And while we don't see the progression, we know based upon the principles of scripture that oftentimes, and I would say a good majority of the time, sin doesn't just take you by surprise. Usually it's been thought about, it's been planned, it's been looked into, 
This is probably the story of David's life. There had to have been some sort of progression here. One, one old preacher said it this way. He said, behind every great human tragedy is a process of wicked thinking. That's based upon a biblical principle that the thinking, the sin and temptation attacks our mind before it ever plays into action. It could have been two days. It could have been two months. We don't know. But we do know, the Bible says, but David tarried still at Jerusalem when he should have been at war. God brings that to our attention for a purpose. And I believe one of the reasons could be that, that David was just getting complacent. I tell you that temptation comes when we begin to let our guard down. It, it starts with idleness. It starts with uh, having just kind of, you know, just too much time on our hands, becoming comfortable with where we're at and not, not really necessarily wanting to go further, just kind of being, being complacent. Contentment is one thing. Complacency is another. Contentment says, I'm thankful for what I have. I'll use it for you. Complacency says, I'm comfortable where I am. I don't need to move at all. David was complacent. He was probably comfortable. He was idle. The Bible says this about idle hands or idle people in verse number, 1 Timothy 5.13. It says, and with all they learn to be idle. This is speaking of women that learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies speaking things which they ought. My mom always said it this way, idle hands and an idle mind are the devil's workshop. Complacent hands, complacent mind, just, just kind of not doing anything is where the devil really goes to work. Why, why is that? Well, it's because we're living opposite of 1 Peter 5.8. See, 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Uh, but complacency and idleness is the opposite of sobriety and vigilance. You see, sobriety is, is a, a sound mind. Vigilance is, a, is a, 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 a looking out, a diligent con, uh, uh, contemplation of, of my surrounding and what's taking place. Idleness and comfort says, meh, it'll be okay. Sobriety and vigilance are not characteristics that belong to someone who is letting their guard down. Temptation comes when we let our guard down. What's the third lesson we can learn? Temptation comes, listen, when we disregard responsibilities. Temptation comes when we disregard responsibilities. We've already said it, but David should have been at war. <clears throat> the whole scene, it starts by saying, <laughs> by being specific. Isn't it interesting when it says that this is a time when the kings go forth to battle? The kings go forth to battle. David sent Joab and David tarried behind. It's interesting to me that it, it, it states it that way. Well, why is it doing that? Because something is out of place. David is neglecting a responsibility. This is an opportunity to mop up a mess and take care of the Ammonites. And David should have led his people and gone and get glory for God just like he said he would in years past. Anytime an, time an enemy comes up, we will go out. We will defeat them. David should have done that, but he did not. He was disregarding a responsibility given to him by God. This was part of his responsibility to the Lord. He was supposed to be leading people at this time, but he was shirking his responsibility. And listen, temptation comes when you you and I shy away from our responsibilities. 
When we neglect our responsibilities with the Lord, we open ourselves up to temptation. I'm not talking about a physical responsibility. I want to talk with you just a second about spiritual responsibilities. God puts spiritual responsibilities in our life, and I would say don't neglect the spiritual responsibilities that God gives in your life. Why? Because when you and I neglect spiritual responsibilities, what's a spiritual responsibility, Pastor? I don't know, like growing closer to the Lord. That's a spiritual responsibility that God has given to us. It's not a do this or this will happen or if you don't do this. and It's not like that. It's, it's just a, hey, grow closer to me. Just be responsible for your own Christian walk and grow closer to me. When you and I aren't growing in the Lord and aren't per, per pursuing him and loving him and following after him, neglecting that responsibility, it's going to be a heightened time of temptation in our life. If David would have been fulfilling his responsibility given by God, he, he would have not been on that rooftop. I see tonight that temptation comes to everyone. Temptation comes when we let down our guard. Temptation, it, it comes when we disregard responsibility. Now let's move just very quickly to sin. What are some principles we can learn about sin? Well, I learned this tonight, that unless it's dealt with, sin leads to more sin. That unless it's dealt with, sin just progressively snowballs. <clears throat> I think for years I would study 2 Samuel 11 and, and, and kind of believe the little heading on my Bible, David's great sin. And, and you kind of think of, oh, okay, well, what were, the, what were the bad things that took place in 2 Samuel 11? Maybe in a casual reading you'd say, oh, well, adultery and murder, adultery and murder. Those are two pretty big, uh, pretty big things. But can I tell you that um, David's sin is where this all started. It was not at adultery. David's first sin in this passage is covetousness and lust. It's wanting something that, that wasn't his. It was lusting after Bathsheba. That led him down a sin trail. That lust led to adultery, which led to lying, which led to murder, which led to cover-up after cover-up, which really affected his, him as a leader, a sinful leadership, and ultimately just an overall displeasing of the Lord. And David's unwillingness to get right, it just led to more and more sin. And in your life and my life, unless sin is dealt with, it's just going to lead to more sin. If we leave it unchecked and unconfessed, we open ourselves up to just continuing down that uncomfortable path. We find ourselves hiding sin, which leads to hiding more sin, and, and we think we can control it, but soon we find out that it's out of control. And it says it this way in Romans 6.16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Hey, what you yield to, what, what you yield to in your life ultimately becomes that which controls your life. And unless we confess it, sin is just gonna lead to more sin. Sin also, it has a price. Sin has a price. We'll see some of this in the coming weeks in uh, chapter number 12, but... David's sin, it cost him greatly. A few things that I think David's sin cost him, uh, 
It cost him his own testimony. People knew. I think not only did it his men know, but I, I personally lean to that this affected his family. Because if you turn over a few pages from 2 Samuel chapter 11, you move to chapter 12, which is the uh, time when Nathan calls him out. Chapter 13 is Amnon, his son, his son listening to the influence of a friend and raping his own sister. Absalom then pursuing Amnon, and then a few chapters later, Absalom taking the kingdom from his dad. I think that it affected his family. Well, what else did it affect? It affected his men, it affected Bathsheba, it affected Uriah's life, it affected his servants. Not only did Uriah die in battle, but others gave their life also in battle who would not have died had David not sent those orders to Joab because Joab moved the, the battle in a certain area. He moved it to that heated area where valiant men were and moved, moved Uriah and others. And when David gets word, it's not word that just Uriah has died, but others has died. Listen, it, it's just a progressive thing. Sin always has a price. James says it this way. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, it has a price to pay. It brings forth death. David's sin was, it was only pleasurable for, for a season. And it ended up costing a lot of people a lot of things. And isn't that what the Bible says about Moses, that he chose rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season? Sin is only for a season. Why? Because there's a price that will always be paid. There's, and I'm going to say it this way. <clears throat> there's not just a price that will be paid. There's natural consequences for sin that God allows to take place. And I'm going to say it. I might say it again in a minute, but I'll say it now before I forget. That um, God is always open for you to get right with him. As, listen, as long as you're breathing, God offers grace mercy. You're already, this is, this is mind-blowing for us because we think in regards to the laws of time and here and now, but you're, you're already forgiven. Any sin, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, any sin that you will commit in the future, it's already forgiven. It's already under the cross. I mean, that, that's what the scripture teaches, that all of our sins are forgiven, not all of our current sins. No, no, no. All of your sins, they're already forgiven underneath the cross. So when you and I sin, we're not saying, God, we need forgiveness again in the sense of like uh, God is holding back, withholding forgiveness. No, we're saying, God, I'm saying about sin what you say about sin. I'm coming to the same mindset as you to say, God, it is ruining my life and I want to confess it to you and forsake it. That forgiveness is already there. That's why 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, the forgiveness is already there. The confession is for restoration. It is for restoring that relationship that was, that was uh, not broken, but that relationship that was stonewalled, that relationship that was uh, uh, um, uh, kind of crippled, if you will, because you're still God's child. You're still forgiven. You still belong to him. But that forgiveness, we've got to just come in and say, God, I confess to you because I want rest restoration to the relationship. And I just want to say that David had that offered to him the entire time. At any point in this story, David could have said, God, God, I, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. 
God, God, forgive me. God, I confess it. God, I see it. But instead, he, he didn't realize that, that, well, he didn't realize it was just going to come back to him. Because sin always has a price. But what I was getting at, and this is, I had lost myself, so I had to go back. What I was getting at is the fact that just because you've confessed your sin doesn't mean that there's not going to be natural consequences for that sin. Um, if, I, if I took a knife right now and put my hand down and, you know, an, an axe or something and cut my finger off, just wham, cut my finger off, I could, I could say, oh, that was stupid. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, what an idiot. I could, do, I could say that all I want and be really repentant that I did that. But the natural consequence of my finger being off is I'm, I'm going to live with that. There's natural consequences to sin. But sin, it always has a price. It always has the consequences. What else can we learn very quickly tonight? Sin is avoidable. This is a really cool point. Don't miss it. And I have, I have this and, and we'll wrap it all together and be done. <clears throat> we won't take the time to do it, but we need to see that David had plenty of opportunities to get this right. I never... I've read 2 Samuel 11 many, many times and I never saw what I'm about to show you until literally this afternoon. I never saw it. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse number three. <clears throat> it says, and David, he sent and he inquired after the woman. Remember I said earlier that means he kind of got help from other people. But notice what it says. It says, and one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? I won't get into all of the grammar with this, but I looked up some things just out of curiosity. And in this phrase, from, from the time where he said, is not, the, or excuse me, where it says, and one said, from there on, it's written in such a way that it was said in such a way of trying to reason with somebody. Like trying to reason, um, yeah, David, uh, no, hey, David, that's, um, that's Uriah's wife. Hey, David, that, no, David, she's not available. No, David, it's kind of the, um, the word that it used was... Uh, uh, it means to expressly or to emphatically speak against. So when it says, and one said, it's saying one, someone stood up and expressly, very quickly and emphatically said, no, this is not right. David, that's, that's the daughter of Eliab. That's the, 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 the uh, daughter-in-law of Eliab, the, the wife of Uriah. David, no, David, no, David, no. David had opportunity. He had opportunity to back away. He had opportunity to say, God, I, I shouldn't have lusted. And it stopped right there. But he didn't do that. He had opportunity. This, this sin was avoidable. And the Bible says this about you and I. Listen, it says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but he will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you are able to bear it. You know what this is simply saying? Temptation, with temptation, always comes a way of escape. With temptation always comes an and one said. 
With temptation always comes someone, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, maybe it's somebody on the outside looking in, maybe it's just uh, the the scripture speaking to you, God using the scripture to, to emphatically and expressly say, no, 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 don't go there, don't think that, don't do that. Sin is avoidable, God always makes a way of escape. And David, he had plenty of outs. And when, ta- when temptation comes your way, you and I always have plenty of outs. God says when we have a healthy relationship with him, we just sang about it, as I draw closer to the Lord, man, it allows me a better resistance against, him, against temptation. Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But resist the devil happens after the draw nigh. Our our power isn't in us. You and I have no ability to overcome temptation or sin in our life. It is God working through us that can help us with this. So I see tonight temptation comes to everyone. It comes when we let our guard down. It comes when we disregard our responsibility. Sin, unless it's dealt with, it just leads to more sin. It always has a price and it is avoidable. But the last thing is God always offers grace and forgiveness. In the passage, David had chance after chance to get this right but he didn't. Can I say tonight, don't allow temptation and sin to go unchecked in your life because God is always offering grace and forgiveness. Proverbs 28, 13 says it this way, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now, you can close your Bibles and we're, we're done. I just turned my iPad off. <clears throat> I just wanna talk with you for a second. I just want to say that I think in your life and in my life, because, because, of what I would, because of what I call cultural Christianity, many Christians have just become very comfortable with sin. Comfortable to the point where we excuse it, where we satisfy it, where we hold on to it. And it, it might be, I mean... In our minds, there's small sins and great sins, so I'm just gonna use that. It might be a small sin. It might be a great sin. But I just wanna bring this home to us, and I wanna tell you this. God hates sin. That's why he died. Your sin and my sin, it nailed him to the cross. I mean, it, it's, the, it's the reason he had to die for us. But that's because God loves you. God loves me. And God doesn't say, hey, resist sin because he's trying to control. It's like what I said this morning. God says, hey, I, I don't want this in your life because I know where it'll take you. I, I, know, where, I, know, I know where it's going. It's almost like he's saying, I know the end of your second Samuel 11. So don't start it. Now, how can we apply this to us tonight? I have just two thoughts and we're done. Number one, number one, if you know Christ as your Savior, ask God, God, show me if there's anything in my life that's hindering my fellowship with you. The relationship is there, not broken. The fellowship is broken. Sin breaks fellowship with God. So pause tonight and and genuinely say, God, search me. That's what David said in Psalm 139 after listing God, you know everything about me. So he said, God, show me me. God, search me, show me. Well, pastor, why would I do that? Because you and I should hate sin as much as God hates sin. Want to know why we give sin easy access? 
because we don't hate it as much as he hates it. And so tonight, if you know Christ as your Savior, number one, I would say, ask God, God, just show me me. God, show me me. Oh, it's not because pastor's trying to get somebody to be like, oh man, God changed my life that night. I was in this deep, egregious sin. No, there might be somebody here that's just been struggling with bitterness. I don't want the end of 2 Samuel 11 on bitterness. It might be a little bit of lust. I don't want the end of 2 Samuel 11 on a little bit of lust. It might be a lot. I don't want the end of that. It might be greed. It might be jealousy. I don't know what it is. It might be lying. I don't know. But we don't want the end of 2 Samuel 11. So why even pin the first word in our own life? So number one tonight, God search me. God show me me. And if God shows it to you, just confess it, forsake it. That's why I love 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he'll, he'll take care of it. God, give me strength to move past this. God, help me to hate it like you hate it. And then the second thing tonight, first one to ask God, God, search me. But the second thing tonight is, is what I just said a second ago, asking God, God, help me. Temptation comes to everyone. It's going to come this week. God, help me. God, help me to stay close to you. God, help me to stay protected from sin. God, help me to keep a right relationship with you, right fellowship with you. God, help me because I want to be close to you. I want to draw nigh to you so that I can resist that devil and resist that temptation because I don't want, I don't want a 2 Samuel 11 in my life. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.